Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to the Palace of Pistons podcast. We are now on iTunes. Aaron Johnson stepping in for Mike Anguiano, who's out once again this week. But joining me, not a guest, but a new every week a co-host, Ryan Pay. Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, like Aaron said, my name is Ryan. Uh, new to the Palace of Pistons. Glad to be here. Excited to join the podcast. Uh, love the Pistons. Love them a lot. So I'm ready to talk some. Let's do it. Let's do it indeed. And what a great time for you to join because we got a lot to talk about as the free agency frenzy has begun and will now settle down. And with that, we see how the Pistons roster will shape out for the upcoming season. Let's talk about what they gained throughout the draft and free agency because we haven't talked about the draft picks yet either on the Palace of Pistons podcast. Uh, so we'll talk about the draft picks, we'll talk about the free agency signings, and we'll also hit on some of the guys that are no longer going to be in Pistons uniforms. But uh, just want to quickly gloss over Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas, the two guys that Detroit came away with from the NBA draft. Uh, in Summer League now, we've seen both Brown and Thomas for three games, and they've both played pretty well. They've shown some of the NBA skills that the Pistons and other teams liked from them and how they'll be able to contribute um, between the two, I think Brown has stood out as a guy that just knows how to play the game. Makes a lot of a lot of the good plays. Is able to attack the basket. Is very strong. Draws contact. Gets to the free throw line. And on the defensive end, he's a switchable guy. He can defend really from the point guard all the way up to power forward. We saw that in summer league where he's been matched up with any of those positions throughout either of, any of the games. Um, and he has he's played pretty well in that facet. Kyrie Thomas really looks good as a shooter. Um, Detroit's run a lot of dribble handoffs for him, has spotted him up for threes, and he's been pretty efficient from those areas on the court um, and has shown those defensive skills that won him a Defensive Player of the Year uh, award in college. So both those guys have done pretty well in Summer League. Ryan, I don't know if you had any input on those guys because I know you have an uh, – been watching as much summer league as some of the others no i haven't been able to uh catch as much summer league as i would have liked so i haven't really seen the pistons this summer um my question for you i guess since you've been the one watching is where where do you think uh thomas and brown fit in who do you think has a better chance of cracking the rotation i know it's a very small sample size um i'm just curious what you think from what you've seen sure i think between the two um with the versatility that each possesses um I think I would go with Brown right now just because it looks like he has more of an NBA body and an NBA skill set to where if he needed to come in day one, let's say a, a guy in the road that should be in the regular rotation gets hurt in training camp or whatnot and someone has to step in, I think Bruce Brown can be that guy. He's got good size at 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Like I said, an NBA body, not quite as good as someone like Stanley Johnson who when he came in was 6'7", 245". But Brown is, is, is strong, and he's able to bang with guys from 1 to 4. Uh, and I think when you look at what would be asked of him, you'd want him to be most complete on the defensive end. Um, and I think he can do that right away with his positional versatility. 
Um, offensively, he probably wouldn't contribute a ton. Uh, his shot is streaky. I, we've known that from his freshman year in college where he shot, you know, above 36, 37%. And then last, his last season in college where he was in the 20%. So a bit of a streaky shooter. I'm not sure if he's really figured that out. But defensively, I think he fills out as a guy that you could plug in right away. We'll take on. We'll move on to some of the free agents Detroit signed, and we'll start with the big name, and that's Glenn Robinson the third. Oh boy! Uh, I actually spoke with Glenn Robinson on Wednesday afternoon, and you'll see a nice story on him coming out on PalaceOfPistons.com uh, within the, a week or so. Um, but Robinson signed a two-year, eight-point-three million-dollar deal with the Detroit Pistons. He will fill the role of James Ennis, who just recently signed a multi-year deal with the Houston Rockets. And Ryan, I think that Robinson is the the big get for Detroit in free agency with the lack of money that they went into it with. Oh, absolutely. Being cap-strapped like they were, uh, being able to go get Robinson in place of Ennis, I feel, is an upgrade at the position. Um, before, his, uh, before his ankle injury last year, he was an ascending player. I felt he, we were seeing him grow. In all facets of the game, he was becoming more confident with himself. Uh, I'm excited to see what he can do here in Detroit. I think he's going to challenge uh, Stanley Johnson for that starting spot. Well, that's something that I had spoke with him about in the interview. Uh, again, you'll see a story on that with that those quotes from him inside that story. Again, that'll be on PalaceOfPistons.com here uh, within a week or so. But I really like what Robinson brings to the team. Again, last season missed a, a chunk of games with a um, ankle injury um, he compared it to the injuries that Odell Beckham Jr. and Gordon Hayward suffered um, so it was a pretty serious injury um, but you go back to the 2016-2017 season where we got a very good sample size of what Glenn Robinson can do he appeared in 69 games averaged 21 minutes per game uh, averaged 6 points about 4 rebounds um, and as a multi-positional defender something he also stressed to me in our interview last season his numbers did dip but that's also due to the fact of he didn't start the season he came in uh, towards the end of the year and he just never got into what I would say was full form uh, and that's why um, we didn't see him get to do a ton and that's why he really wasn't in the rotation when the Pacers played the Ca played the Cavaliers in the first round of the playoffs but his stats from last season, played in just 23 games, averaged just 14.7 minutes, averaged over four points per game and about two rebounds per game, but did shoot 41, over 41% from the three-point line. Uh, he shot 39, over 39% from the three-point line in the 2016-2017 season. Uh, that stat jumps out to me because obviously Detroit, a team that grew as a three-point shooting team last year, but... Dwayne Casey has come in and said that Detroit needs to be taking more three-pointers and Robertson, a guy that should fit that mold perfectly. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Dwayne Casey's going to be more of a coach that allows the free flow of players and what they want to do out on the floor, where Stan seemed to be a little more uh, in your face, kind of do it my way. You're going to see Dwayne Casey let them play a little more free, let them shoot from the outside. This is a team, you know, that's the NBA now. We shoot from the outside, we shoot the three, and uh, Glenn can definitely do that. I think he is just going to find his confidence with a healthy offseason going into the year, finding his spot in the rotation. Uh, I definitely look for him to be pulling from three this year. So let, let's talk about it for a minute. Let's talk about it. Small forward position, Stanley Johnson and Glenn Robinson the third. Those are your two 
primary small forwards, assuming Reggie Bullock and Luke Kennard play the shooting guard spot. Between those two, you said Glenn Robinson could challenge for the starting spot? Oh, absolutely. We saw it last year how streaky uh, Stanley Johnson can be. He comes in, has a rough 10 games. Now, if we can possibly attribute this to Stan Van Gundy being pretty hard on him, I think we can all agree on that. I think that played some mind games on the young Stanley Johnson, who wouldn't. Stanley was 19, 20, 21 when he was playing for Stan Van. But uh, I'm telling you, Stanley's been very streaky his whole time in Detroit. He has a 10-game period where you're like, you're sitting there wondering, man, he's uh, he's streaky from the outside. He can't shoot. He's not making good decisions uh, when he's driving the basketball. And that, and then even then his defense would suffer a little bit. And then he would go through a stretch of games, 5-6, where, man, he's making every right decision, taking the ball to the basket strong, imposing his will, playing great defense, hands all over, blanketing his uh, the guy he's defending. And I think if uh, that keeps up for Stanley Johnson, He's going to struggle to see the starting lineup because I know Glenn Robinson's coming. And I think, and and I, you know this about me, um, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners know this about me, but I am big on Stanley Johnson. Huge on Stanley Johnson. I, I have a lot of faith in his development. He was the guy that I anticipated and predicted Detroit to draft back in the 2015 draft. Um, and I think what we saw last year with Johnson was when he was playing well, it was the best we had ever seen him play. Agreed. But when he was playing poor, it was kind of like, man, this guy might not might not work on a roster, on this roster even. But the thing is, Johnson spent a lot of the season hurt. He had a hip injury, he had a back injury, and those nagged along with him throughout, I'd say, a large chunk, if not the entire season. I think Johnson, with a better developmental coach in Dwayne Casey and a full season, a full offseason of getting to work with the primary starting group of Reggie, Blake, and Andre, and then mix in Reggie Bullock or Luke Kennard, whoever Detroit decides to start there. But he's going to have that time to grow with that group. And James Edwards of The Athletic posted an article the other day talking about Stanley Johnson's offseason and how he has been in the gym nonstop, and that many are saying that this is the best offseason of Stanley Johnson's career. Now, if that's true, I think we're going to see a Stanley Johnson that could be a real factor on a good team. And Johnson's probably never going to be a 40% three-point shooter. But his biggest weakness is his shooting. And if he can grow to be a league average 36% three-point shooter, then that completely changes his career outlook. He's a guy that goes from you know, good defender, good defender, good defender. He can he can compete on that side of the ball against anyone, but now he's got a completely unlocked offensive game because we know he can attack the basket, but when he has that three point shot and teams can't just sag on him, that completely opens up his game. So I'm going to believe with the things that Dwayne Casey has said about Stanley Johnson, what we're hearing about Stanley Johnson in his off season, and Stanley Johnson's just growth as he matures and gets older I think we're going to see a better Stanley Johnson next year a much better Stanley Johnson next year and I don't think that he's going to find himself out of the starting lineup I think he'll be that starting guy next year but that's not to say anything wrong about Glenn Robinson the third I think he's a fantastic piece to this team he's going to contribute a lot and you you could play those two together as well in spurts 
Um, and Glenn could find his way into the starting lineup in different positions as well, whether there's injuries or whatever the case may be. Robinson could definitely see, start some games for Detroit next year, and you know maybe they do challenge each other. And if Stanley's struggling throughout the year and Glenn's playing well, then for sure make that change. But I I'm not sure I'd be uh, taking that bet of saying Glenn Robinson's going to be starting over Stanley Johnson at the beginning of next season. I wouldn't take that bet right now either. All I'm saying is I think as time goes on, Glenn's definitely going to challenge him. Um, I agree. Stanley's going to be given every opportunity to prove his worth, to prove that this offseason, all the work he's been putting in, has been worth it. Um, but if we see as much uh, struggle in Stanley's game like he's had, the inconsistency, every opportunity is going to be there for Glenn. I'm hoping. I, I want Stanley Johnson to succeed. We've, we've been fighting. He shows those flashes of brilliance. Honestly, brilliance. He's so strong when he takes in those stretches. He's so strong taking the ball to the hole. The jumper, when, if it can be a little more consistent, he'd be su- he would be a phenomenal threat to have on a very good team. But it's inconsistent, you see, man. We've got to see how this offseason plays out for him. Yeah, for sure. I think that this offseason will be very telling on – what Stanley Johnson's future will be the offseason and then the first month or two of the season. But let's move on to another addition and loss for Detroit, taking over Dwight Bike's spot, who was waived by the Pistons last week, will be veteran point guard Jose Calderon. He spent last season with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, we'll get to my stance here in a minute, but Ryan, what is your take on the Pistons making that move of getting rid of Dwight Bikes and bringing on Jose Calderon? Really, all I see from it is it's just a, it's just a cap move, really. Jose Calderon hasn't been a significant player in the league in a few years now. Um, honestly, I kind of like Dwight Bikes. He was growing on me a lot throughout the year. Honestly, kind of sad to see him go. I enjoyed watching his game. But to me, that was just a cap move to save some money because the Pistons are so close to that threshold of the, of the luxury tax. It was just a move they had to make. Yeah, I think that with Bikes, you had a guy that you had somewhat developed and groomed over time, and I think he was ready to see backup minutes at least. Um, Not at least. I think his ceiling as a player is a backup point guard, but he can be a decent one at that. Um, But his skill set was starting to, to figure itself out in Detroit and was starting to learn itself with some of his teammates and that chemistry was starting to grow between the group. Uh, Personally, not a huge fan of what Jose Calderon brings to the team. Um, He's a veteran. He has been in the league for a long time, and that is great. Spent last season with the Cleveland Cavaliers, but he's nearly 37 years old. He will be um, a few months into the NBA season. He'll be 37 years old. And with Detroit's history at the point guard position, of Reggie Jackson going down, I wanted I wanted to see Detroit have a third-string point guard that I could really trust to play big minutes. Now, Calderon did play 16 minutes a game last year, over 57 games. He was respectable in that time, at least on the offensive side of the ball. 4.5 points, shot great from the three-point line at nearly 46.5%. Um, he facilitates the basketball, averaged over two assists, in that 16 minutes per game but defensively he's not stopping anyone there's no one that is going to be held back from attacking the basket or shooting a jump shot over a Jose Calderon closeout or a Jose Calderon just trying to get in your way stand in your way no one's getting stopped by that 
and Bikes had put up some decent numbers in Detroit. He had shown an off ball, or I mean, an off the dribble game that was finding its its finding its way in into Detroit's offense with a second unit that oftentimes became very stagnant. Bikes' craftiness with the ball in his hands had kind of blossomed, I would say, and that's part of the reason why I really liked Bikes. I liked that Detroit had gotten them in, into the development system and found someone like Bikes, so that excited me about him. But in the end, if Detroit is able to stay healthy, you're not going to have to worry about the third-string point guard spot that much, and I think that, in not to get into this whole topic, because this is a whole topic with Reggie Jackson, but I think we should see a healthier Reggie Jackson this season based off the standpoint of other guys being able to handle the ball in Luke Kennard and Blake Griffin and potentially even Andre Drummond. Um, but this this is a move that saves about 300 k in cap space, which is very important for Detroit in staying under the luxury tax. I'm sure that Tom Gores doesn't feel comfortable paying the luxury tax for a team that has not made the playoffs. Now they have a new coach. I'm sure that he was not going to be thrilled about paying that luxury tax as many owners aren't. So that move in that respect made sense. But I do want to move on to a move that I adamantly do not like whatsoever, and that is Detroit signing Zaza Pachulia. He signed a one-year, $2.4 million deal with Detroit. In a corresponding move, the Pistons waived Eric Moreland, who spent last season with the Pistons in it was a non-guaranteed deal, so Detroit didn't give away any guaranteed money to him in waiving him, but they just cleared that money off the books to make signing Pachulia possible. Um, Ryan, does Zaza Pachulia do anything for you? I mean, he's going to be the backup center when you look at the depth chart, so he's going to see minutes. Um, is that Does that do anything for you over Eric Moreland? When we talked about this uh, when it first happened, you had told me how you saw the notification on your phone and you saw Zaza Pachulia signed with a team that started with, Detroit, uh, with D, and you were hoping it wasn't Detroit. And you were really bummed out when you saw it was Detroit. And I was the same way. What, I agree. Eric Moreland, energy guy, uh, works hard for some rebounds. But what, what's it, what's, was there really an upgrade with Zaza Pachulia over Eric Moreland? Why not have Eric Moreland for, Moreland for the year instead of Zaza? I don't know. It just doesn't really move the needle for me at all. There's really no difference. I think Eric Moreland's a better defender. Zaza Pachulia, ah, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm tongue-tied almost over it because I'm just, it frustrated sure. me to no end to see that signing to get rid of Eric Moreland. Once again, it helped move money off the books with Aaron Mo- Eric Moreland. I get that, but man, it just, I don't know. Zaza Pachulia just didn't move the needle for me at all. So I took a look um, after the signing. Coincidentally, I wasn't even looking at the time for anything on Zaza Pachulia when this had came up, but I came across an article by a writer for SB Nation's Golden State Warriors site, and the title was, um, The NBA Has Left Zaza Pachulia Behind. And I was like, great, we just signed this guy. Fantastic. We just signed this guy. Awesome. So I took a read, and basically what I found is that Pachulia became practically unplayable, and that he had digressed from what was a pretty productive 2016-2017 season and had taken a step back really on both sides of the floor in his in his 33 year old season in the NBA last year and that that worries me because he's not going to be a guy that Detroit can be like 
oh, this matchup really doesn't work for them. We have someone else that can cover that. Because Detroit doesn't know what they're getting in John Lure yet, who missed a majority of last season with a foot injury that never really got fully devolved, delved into by the Pistons to the outside. So we never we never really got the full information on what happened with John Lure. And Henry Ellenson, who we're going to get into later in a more in-depth tone, doesn't look like he's ready to play any NBA minutes. Detroit also lost Anthony Tolliver, and I'm going to hit on that. You can bet your bottom dollar I'm going to talk about him Aaron for a minute. Aaron is heated about that one. But Detroit adds a guy that isn't an, is does not fit NBA matchups anymore. And this guy is going to be expected to be the backup center for 82 out of 82 games a year and however many games Detroit gets in the playoffs if they get to the playoffs. This is a guy that is still good from the free throw line. That's a great skill set to have. Fine. He's a decent passer for a big man. He still rebounds the ball. But he cannot move his feet. He can. He's not going to block shots. He's not going to get steals. He's not a scoring threat, and that's fine. I don't need that from a backup center. I mean, we had Eric Moreland last year, and the guy, he doesn't make layups, let yeah, alone you know, layup anything in. else. But he still was able to move his feet, switch around on matchups, and compete at a much higher level than a guy like Zaza Pachulia can. And let's not even get into the fact that Zaza Pachulia is one of the most hated players in the league and has a terrible reputation behind him as pretty much destroying Kawhi Leonard's career. So this move does not excite me. It does not enthrall me. It is a move that I am vehemently against. But that's what it is right now. That's what it is. Zaza Pachulia will be Detroit, the Detroit Pistons' backup center next year. One thing, it's going away from the youth in Bikes and Moreland. Two guys that, don't get me wrong, Moreland wasn't going to be some all-star or starter, but guy who could was still find his way in the league, could still grow. Same with Bikes, what we were talking about a minute earlier. Now we're going to guys who are way on the downslope of their careers. And you know, like you said, Zaza Pachulia can't even move. Guy can't move at all. Has no business being on the court. Even without looking at the stats, you could just see it from that, Two seasons ago to last season, the difference in his game. He could, he did, does not belong in the league anymore, and here we are as our backup center. And the guy the guy lost his spot to JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee. Now, now McGee ended up playing good basketball, but at the that, time. He did. At the time, it seemed. At the time, it was JaVale McGee. Great. At the time, it was JaVale. Okay. Like, it just blew my mind. I was like, oh, my gosh. Zaza Pachulia is done in this league. Yeah. I guess not. I, you know what? Move on. Let's move on. Get this out of here. But I can't go into a better tone throughout these next topics because I need to hit on Anthony Tolliver. And I'm going to start with Let's this Let's do it. Go for it. Looking at Detroit's cap scenario, they are about a $1.5 million away from the luxury tax. They need, they're they going to need all of that and potentially more to sign undrafted – or, I mean, um, unsigned draftee Kyrie Thomas. They already had signed Bruce Brown. But – Detroit committed money to Jose Calderon and Zaza Pachulia, and I I understand that their cap hits are the same as Eric Moreland and Dwight Bikes. So Detroit actually gained a little money, a little bit of money in those scenarios. But Detroit, anyways, committed money to paying those guys that really don't fit a role on this roster over a guy that is coming off the best season of his career at age 32, was one of the top five three-point shooters in the league. Clay Thompson, Reggie Bullock, Anthony Tolliver, and, you know, your Steph Curry's, your Kevin Durant's of the world, 
all those top shooters, you know, those guys are top players in the league. And Anthony Tolliver, not a top player in the league, but he's in that mix with those guys of top three-point shooters in the league. He's a guy that could play the four, could play the small ball five in some matchups. You're obviously not going to go to that a lot, but could have done it if asked to do it. He's way more mobile on the defensive end. He actually is able to compete at a high level defensively because of, not because of his intangibles. He's not a big guy. He's 6'7". It's not like he's super strong, but because he's really smart in the way that he plays defense. And you lose that now. You lose a guy that was voted as teammate of the year for the freaking Sacramento Kings. Like, you have to be a really good teammate on that on that roster from two years ago, another lottery Sacramento Kings team. And he was voted the, the teammate of the year in what was a terrible roster, a terrible organization. You lost a guy that on and off the court impacted your team in a much larger way than really any of your offseason additions can. And Detroit committed money to all those guys before getting Anthony Tolliver back on the roster. And the worst thing about it is Blake Griffin is gonna going to miss, give or take, 15 games. That is what it is. It's pretty much a fact at this point that he misses 15 or so games a season. And now our, our safety valve is Henry Ellenson, who in summer league has really struggled. That's my thoughts on this. Detroit made a big mistake letting Anthony Tolliver walk. Aaron, when they first brought Anthony Tolliver back, it didn't do anything for me. And then as you saw him play and uh, the way the team kind of meshed around him, he was the leader of that team. He held that team together. He, You can tell he's a heck of a teammate. The guys loved him. Like you said, his shooting, phenomenal. On a team that struggles to shoot with Reggie Bull, outside of Reggie Bullock, the shooting is not the best on this team. And now you let one of the top guys in the league go for Zaza Pachulia and Jose Calderon to commit money there? I agree. Something I didn't think I would say a year ago, but now I am. I am 100% in agreement with you, Aaron. How could you let him walk? You commit the money to him. If you think you're a win-now team, how can you let that guy go? Like you said, he doesn't have the intangibles. He doesn't have, you know, he's only 6'7", like you said. But the guy is smart, plays so damn hard, and is a heck of a shooter. On a team that believes they're a shooting team, your second-best shooter, you let him walk? For Henry Ellenson. So, the the top three-point field goal percentage in the league was Darren Collison at 46.8%. The guys, along with Collison, that were ahead of Tolliver were Reggie Bullock, Otto Porter, Clay Thompson, Joe Ingles, and he was tied with Kyle Korver. Tolliver was tied with Kyle Korver. Kyle freaking Korver. What do we know Kyle Korver as? One of the best shooters to ever play the game for three-point field goal shooting percentage at 43.6%. There's no reason that on July 1st, maybe after they talk to Glenn Robinson, because Glenn Robinson's going to make a difference on this ball club, but right after you talk to Glenn Robinson, you should have been on the phone with Anthony Tolliver saying, hey, we're signing you. What is it going to take? We'll, make, we'll work out whatever trades we have to do to figure out the cap space scenario to bring you back. And they didn't. And that disappoints me. Aaron, I know I'm I'm speechless right now because I, I'm in agreement. I don't I, – how can you let Tolliver walk, walk in favor – it's clearly in favor of Henry Ellenson and then making the two signings of Pachulia and Calderon. So let's 
Let's talk about Ellenson for a minute. Let's talk about him. We went through three summer league games, and in the first two games, Henry Ellenson probably shot 15 or 20% from the field. Not good. And, And defensively, has shown no improvement whatsoever, which was what kept him off the court in the first two seasons of his career because he couldn't defend anyone because he doesn't have the lateral quickness or the strength. Here we are, year three summer league player. First off, not something that happens a lot. No, it does not. But I was fine with it based off of what Detroit had said. They're investing in Henry Ellenson. They wanted to be a part of this team. So I said, sure, let's see what he's got. I don't like what I've seen. No. It's worrisome. I haven't seen any of the summer league because I have not been able to watch. And I can tell you just from what I've read, I can't believe that this is still, the Henry Ellenson project is still a thing. What's going on? Two of 19 from three in the first two games. Shot 24.5% in those first two games. What what are we doing? The, like you said, the guy can't move. He has no business playing in the post with the bigs in the NBA. And this isn't even a bigs league. But he can't handle it. He has no business being in these games. Sure, game three went a little bit better for him. He shot 5 of 11, 5 or 12 or so, and had 13 points and 10 boards and I think 7 assists. Yeah, played a much better played game Played a much three. better game. And I understand... Maybe he's thinking a little bit more because they have him playing a little point forward. Um, they kind of have the grab-the-rebound-and-go kind of mentality for him. They really want him to develop. But that's in the summer league, man. He's not going to go up against the dudes in the NBA doing that. Well, well, let's go over his stats from the first two games. 14 points per game on 30% field on uh, 30% from the field. And let's see here. I, I thought that was an attempt amount because it's so small. 13% from the three-point line. Good lord. I thought he was taking 13 threes a game. That's his actual percentage. Now, let's go to rebounds. Eight and a half rebounds per game. Cool. Five assists per game. Looks great, but let's go to turnovers per game. He's averaging six. He averaged six and a half turnovers per game in the first two games of Summer League, and he did have a good game in his third game, but in that game he also had, you know, another six or seven turnovers. six or seven turnovers to go with the thing, pretty much a one-to-one ratio there. So... So this is a guy that throughout Summer League has really not done enough to show that he's ready to take on any large role with this roster. And large role by even coming off the bench and playing, you know, backup power forward minutes or, you know, backup five minutes. Hasn't shown that he has that capability whatsoever. And that's another area of concern for this Detroit roster. I think when you go to the bench and you get to ish smith and what'll likely be luke Kennard. it's like you know what like that that's well ish smith's on a decent contract it's not great anymore with the salary cap the way it is but when it was signed that was a the bargain contract luke Kennard had a great rookie season we're gonna see even a, a better second year from him he's gonna whether it's him or reggie bullock i guess that's still up in the air but either one of those guys is gonna be good glenn robinson the third or stanley johnson again either one of those guys should be all right and then you go to the big men, and it's like, did we forget to fill out the roster? What is going on? And this, this is that will be a problem for Detroit. I get Andre Drummond has been healthy most of his career, but when you have Blake Griffin at your starting power forward spot, again, spot him out for 15 games. Okay? So you're going to have to figure out, in those 15 games, what's your power forward rotation? Because John Luer and Henry Ellinson isn't getting the job done. Oh, I, they're banking big time on John Luer. You can already see that's 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 the move. You can already tell. 
oh, I see how much that made you angry. But that's the truth, though. Why would you let Anthony Tolliver walk and play this Henry Allenson game? We, it's clear to everyone right now. He's not going to make it on the floor. The John is, Lewart is their guy. The thing is that I believe Tolliver's deal was about $6 million annually. I believe that was the number. And Detroit's been looking to move the contracts of Lure, uh, a blank send Galloway who's making $7 million annually, and I believe Ish Smith was the other name that it came up in um, the report from Rod Beard of the Detroit News. Now, if you are able to part with Langston Galloway or John Luer, which I'm sure that they're going to figure out a way to because much bigger contracts have been moved this offseason, and there truly is no such thing as an unmovable contract in the NBA, that money issue for Anthony Tolliver goes away. And Detroit wouldn't have even, even if they are over the luxury tax right now, wouldn't have had to worry about paying that until next year. So even if they didn't get that money off the books in the regular or in the offseason, they could have gone throughout the entire regular season up until the trade deadline. They would have would have had all that time to figure it out. And now you're really gonna see it. You're not you might not think about it right now. You might think John Lewis is gonna come back fine and you know Henry Ellenson can figure it out. You gotta just give him more time. But once Blake Griffin goes down and you have to see John Lewis and Henry Ellenson in some combination for 48 minutes a game, that's where you're going to think, oh, shit. I, my man, I agree. How how can you feel good when Blake Griffin does inevitably get injured that you're going to be trotting out Lure and Ellenson at the four spot? They can't guard these guys in the league right now. They're too slow. Sure, Lure has got a shot, and he's decently offensive-minded and has a decent game, but, man... Thinking about that, just putting that in my head right now. Blake Griffin's hurting. Here come John Luer and Henry Ellenson for 48 minutes. Dude, what the hell? Yeah, so... What the hell? That's that's that with... with, with How can this team position? expect to win when you know Blake Griffin's going to go down for some portion of the season and that's what you have replacing him? It, it, it's, it's worrisome, but... I'm going to keep some hope in the fact that Dwayne Casey has figured things out for some of his younger players. He is known as an elite player development coach. And I I'd, I, would never root for a player to not succeed in oh, the league. Oh, not at all. Not at all. And I think there still is an NBA player somewhere inside Henry Ellenson. And if there's a coach that's going to figure it out, Dwayne Casey's a guy that I'd be very comfortable letting him do. Let him do. Letting him do that. Ellenson has some great tools, and Dwayne Casey. When you look at what he's done, specifically with big men, you look at Yakupoidal, and you look at Pascal Siakam of the Raptors last year. And Casey had mentioned this in um, on, a, on an article that I had read online. You look at what Siakam did in the first half of the season, and it was like this guy might not be able to cut it in the NBA. But by the time we had worked with him enough, second half of the year turned around and we saw him shoot the ball so well and he was playing so well as a point-forward-style kind of point player. He played a huge role for them in the playoffs. So I'm going to have to reserve some hope in Dwayne Casey and the, and the staff that he's put alongside him that is widely regarded as this. all these guys are player development gurus. You know, you get Sean Sweeney, a guy that has worked with Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, I know I butchered that. I never will get that one last Antetokounmpo? name now. Antetokounmpo? 
Um, you get Sidney Lowe. You get all these guys at DJ Baker. You get all these guys that are respected player developmental coaches. You put all those guys in place. That has to reserve hope for Stanley Johnson and for Henry Ellenson and to see Luke Kennard continue to get better, see Glenn Robinson take the next step. So I'm going to reserve hope in that respect. I don't want this to be me crapping on the Pistons because, you know, I want them to succeed. I think they can succeed. But from what I've seen so far, from what happened with John Luer last year and seeing Henry Ellenson in the summer league, I think it's very fair to have these concerns. You bring up Siakam. What's the what he does different than Ellenson is he's athletic. When you are athletic and can, you belong in the NBA with your athleticism, you can develop as a player. Ellenson doesn't have that athleticism, man. So, yes, these this coaching staff is full of gurus of player development. Agreed. And I do believe that you're going to see Kennard take steps. You're going to see Stanley Johnson take some steps. You're going to see Glenn Robinson improve. Andre Drummond's going to become a, more of a man. But I don't know if I see it with Henry Ellenson at all. Well, I guess... Uh... I don't know if it'll even be wait and see. I guess we'll just see it. Yeah, it's no, it's not happen. even wait and see. We're gonna know. We're, it's gonna. He's gonna be thrown into the fire, presumably right away. Um, and I think he might start the season as the backup power forward because Detroit is trying to get off of John Lewis' contract. I, I really think that they've bought into Henry Ellenson, and you know, we'll see. <laughs> That's all I can say. We we'll see. will see. It's not a we'll wait and see. It's, no, it's we gonna will happen. see. It's, we will it's, definitely see. It's not the Stan Van Gundy, um, you know, I'm going to do it, and then he doesn't do it. <laughs> Dwayne Casey's going to play his young guys. It's what he does, and that's fine. And if he works Henry Ellenson into being a very capable uh, big man, then you know what? Awesome. That's great. I just, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. So I think we talked about a lot today. We did. We covered quite a few things today. We, we got into we got into some good things and some bad things. <laughs> to <laughs> put it lightly, definitely some good things and some bad things. Um, but this was your first time on the pod, and we'll we'll have you here now on, as a, on a regular basis. Uh, you'll be joining Mike and us next week. So let's get your recap on this podcast. Were you was it all, all you expected? Oh, it was everything I expected and more. I, I'm glad. I was glad to be here. I'm glad to do this. Uh and I just think as time goes on, we're just going to get better and better. And hopefully we can uh, get you doing some writing on the site as well. I know people, they, they love they love the writing work. I, I don't know what it is. I know podcasts are great, but there's something about reading that for some reason people still like. Oh, absolutely. But now, before we end this, just want to take a minute to plug some things. First off, you're looking for our content. First off, this podcast. Let's hit that subscribe button. Uh, Please subscribe to the Palace of Pistons podcast on iTunes. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Do all of that. It helps us out. Uh, subscribe, like, and subscribe, please. Please give it a a five star review. Yeah, you know, you know, we're coming with that heat every week. It's just gonna get better. Yes. Leave us that review. Absolutely. And now let's go to the Twitterverse. You can follow the Palace of Pistons website, the Palace of Pistons crew at Palace of Pistons on Twitter. You can follow myself on Twitter at A Johnson MBA. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Pay P A Y E underscore Ryan. Now for our website, palaceofpistons.com, that's where all of the heat will be coming at you with stuff pretty much every day. Like I said, you'll see a big feature on Glenn Robinson coming out 
within the week of listening to this podcast. Going to be something good, I promise you that much. And uh, we'll wrap it up here now. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. From Aaron Johnson and Ryan Pay, hopefully we'll have Mike back next week. And we'll see you guys next week here on the Palace of Pistons podcast. Take care. See you guys. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube